The Akkad and Coca Report, episode number 85. Welcome to the Akkad and Coca Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare. From policy to economics, from evidence based medicine to ethics, join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Coca diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this next episode of the Akkad and Coca Report. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast player app by going to the episode show notes at akalencoca.com slash episode 85. You can also support the show by sharing it with your friends and by making a small but dearly appreciated donation at akalencoca.com slash support. Today, we have the pleasure of having back on the show Dr. Lee Gross, who was with us just a few months ago on episode 49. Back then, he was telling us about direct primary care and about his efforts to improve the regulatory conditions pertaining to DPC. Well, we have him back today on the show to talk about the recent uh, executive order issued by Donald Trump about healthcare transparency, because a key paragraph in that order deals with direct primary care. Dr. Gross and colleagues in the DPC movement were instrumental in getting language into the executive order, and he will be telling us about that. If you don't know about direct primary care or if you're only vaguely familiar with it, I really strongly urge you to listen to episode 49. It will be a, you'll find it to be an eye-opener. Dr. Gross is a family physician in Northport, Florida. He is a pioneer and a leader in the DPC movement. He is a healthcare consultant to physician practices, medical organizations, hospitals, and private businesses. He founded and serves as president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, and he is chairman of a new lobbying organization called DPC Action. So here we go. Lee Gross, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So Lee, we had you on the show three months ago, and next thing you know, you're on the front page of the New York Times in the White House, <laughs> sitting right <laughs> behind the president. Uh, tell us what's been going on with this uh, executive order. Yeah, so so as you know, uh, my organization is one of the, the leading organizations supporting direct primary care in the country. Uh, and that organization, Docs for Patient Care uh, Foundation, uh, works on initiatives to promote uh, free market health care reforms. And again, direct primary care is, is one of the biggest issues that we've been pushing, pushing for many years. Uh, one of the key issues that we've been having with direct primary care is the the lack of clarity for the Internal Revenue Service and, and the tax treatment of direct primary care, particularly as to how it's it's used with health savings accounts, HSAs. Uh, there was some question over whether the uh, if somebody joins a direct primary care practice that it would disqualify them from contributing to a health savings account. It would just would uh, prevent them from using their HSA funds to to pay for the direct primary care membership. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for many, many years, uh, we've been trying to, along with many other organizations, trying to promote legislation that clarifies the tax treatment. And it has been largely unsuccessful. Uh, and you know, more importantly, as the legislative process worked itself through, uh, the lawmakers in crafting this legislation put so many onerous provisions into this legislation that actually the legislative fix was worse than the problem itself. Uh, right. They they attached so many so many strings and put so many regulations on the direct primary care practices 
that it actually was, was quite harmful potentially to the direct primary care movement. So what our organization did, we have actually a, a separate organization, it's called DPC Action. Uh, and that's an organization that actually can do more advocacy. Uh, that's where you can sort of get in the weeds and actually lobby for, 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 uh, for things that help direct primary care. And since the last time we talked, we have been to the White House 14 times. Um, you know, that's how, that's how long it takes for these things to, to happen. How do you get your um, foot in the door? Oh, boy, that's complicated. Um, you know, it's just <laughs> persistence. Okay. Um, we had some, some great contacts that, that we've made over the years. You know, we've been doing this for a decade. Um, right. you know, this is an organization that, that has been working in health policy for 10 years, and we've made many contacts uh, over those 10 years and, and worked those contacts, and, and uh, those people just happen to really love what it is we, we do. Okay. Um, you know, then, then you go ahead and, and factor in the, uh, that, uh, you know, I testified before the United States Senate, uh, which certainly adds a, a uh, another level of credibility to the to the organization and to the movement. Uh, Dr. Josh Umber also testified before the United States Senate. Uh, so again, formal Senate testimony uh, just continues to to uh, you know promote the movement, uh, promote the need for the fixes. But the you know the interesting thing is you know it, it never really you know if you would have asked me a decade ago you know if you can just request a meeting with the you know secretary of the of the the department of HHS, um, you know, that's not the stuff that I would ever thought would be possible, but you know, that's exactly the sort of stuff that we had to do in this process. And through our connections and contacts, um, we're able to secure these, these types of meetings. That's great. So, so did you have, um, I mean, over the last, uh, three months, let's say three months or so, um, did you have a sense that, uh, an executive order was being prepared and, and you, you, uh, you were, you know, eagerly participating in the crafting of, of the language that was uh, going in, going to go into it? Well, I think, you know, there, this is obviously a very long process. This, you know, this doesn't play out over, over weeks or months. This plays out over years. Um, and I can tell you that, that we really got a sense that, that things were going to start moving on. Well, we can go back to the, to the president's executive order in 2017 on healthcare. Right. And that was what, what, pushed the choice and competition report. It's what created the choice and competition report. It also is what created um, the association health plan rules. It's what expanded short-term medical plans. And it's what uh, created the, uh, the HRA or the, the health reimbursement arrangement uh, rules to be created. That 2017 executive order prompted listening sessions at the White House uh, where, where our board members would show up and give the White House feedback along with other key stakeholders. We'd participate in conference calls with the White House. And in meetings that we had uh, with, with key leadership, um, I think, you know, once we saw the proposed rule come out from the health reimbursement arrangement, uh, which was, I think, in the, in, towards the end of 2018, I believe, um, we saw that there was definitely an opportunity for us to work within that new proposed rule to get the direct primary care fix we needed. So our organization hired a legal firm in Washington, D.C., a tax firm, and we filed a, an eight-page legal comment uh, showing that the administration does have the legal authority to fix this problem. Um, and so stemming from that, we, you know, we had heard that, that 
you know, there was a possibility that there might be a fix in the HRA rule. Uh, but then when the HRA rule came out, uh, it wasn't in there. And so in, in some private meetings we had, you know, there was some suggestion that it's coming. Just be patient. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, you know, we, we had key meetings with, with the Treasury Department. Uh, in fact, three members of our board uh, had a, a key meeting with uh, 12 attorneys from the Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service. Um, so they sent 12 attorneys to meet with three doctors over this issue. Um, in, in you know in the treasury building um we hammered out a lot of stuff you know in those meetings uh we addressed a lot of their questions again uh going back to our legal firm uh and addressing in a again in a 10-page document this time highlighting all the arguments they had against why this issue wasn't resolved and i think we made some very strong arguments uh, as to you know why we had the right the correct position and again why the administration had the um, had the authority to fix this under under current law with 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 uh, no additional legislative action. So tell us what. Hey, can you? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, t tell us sorry, what the executive sorry. order is is actually saying about DPC and 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 how is that solving or if it is uh, already solving the problem or if there are additional steps required. Well, so so the executive order very simply direct directs the secretary of the treasury to issue guidance. Uh, to use uh, uh, health savings accounts to pay for direct primary care uh, memberships. Specifically, uh, they reference the tax code, the 213D Internal Revenue Code, uh, asking that, that direct primary care be an eligible medical expense under that code. Uh, okay. So what that not only does is, it's, is it allows you to use health savings accounts to pay for direct primary care memberships, but it also opens up flexible spending accounts, health reimbursement arrangements, Medicare savings accounts, Archer savings accounts, pretty much. And it also makes direct primary care very clearly a deductible medical expense on, on personal income taxes based upon you know, the threshold of expenses. So mm -hmm. it, it makes direct primary care memberships on par with essentially every, every medical service in the country, which it should be. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a smart move, but now if you, if you take that executive order and you then combine that with the, with the expansions of the HRA that just came out, health reimbursement arrangements, you can now use pre-tax dollar. The employer can use pre-tax dollars to give an employee a benefit, a tax-free benefit, where the employer can pay for the DPC membership um, and they can pay for a major medical plan wraparound. Uh, that is going to be you know, when that happens, one of the most affordable uh, combinations of, of affordable basic medical services plus a major catastrophic wraparound policy. It's, it's going to be the most affordable, comprehensive plan available in the country. Sure. Um, what, um, so, so, I mean, that still has yet to happen. I mean, it's, it's, the executive order is just a, 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 an order to the HHS to, to provide guidance and do it. Um, how, do, how is uh, direct primary care defined? And is this the it's first not. time that direct primary care actually shows up in a, uh, um, you know, in a type of uh, uh, governmental document of that, uh, of that kind? Or has, has the term appeared elsewhere? You mentioned the IRS uh, ruling, but... Uh, Right. So, so the term is, was officially, I believe, first used in the Affordable Care Act 
um, in, in 2010. Okay. Okay. So it is defined in the Affordable Care Act. Now, it, it they never issued regulations that defined what direct primary care is. Um, okay. You know, there has been legislation in, in 26 states that have passed that that loosely defines direct primary care. Okay. Uh, and there's a you know a three part definition that's that's used in most of those states that you can very easily look up and, and find. But also, you know, specifically, uh, direct primary care was referenced in the the choice and competition report that was put out by the White House. Um, and they specifically in this report that was signed by the Secretary of the Treasury, it was signed by the the Secretary of HHS, it was signed by the Secretary of the Labor Department, all asking for this fix. Uh, specifically referencing direct primary care and health savings accounts and the fix mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. as necessary. So, you know, when all the secretary, you know, when the president's cabinet calls for this fix, um, you know, that raises it to a level of, of priority for the White House, which is frankly how we ended up really getting these meetings. You know, when you can, when you can contact the treasury and say, look, you know, we need to talk about this issue. This is a, this is a priority issue for the White House. Um, and by the way, the Secretary of Treasury signed that priority report, uh, you know, designating as it a priority. Great. Um, so, so Lee, there's, can, can you talk about um, uh, some of the opposition you've had over the last decade and kind of clarify where that opposition, um, you know, what grounds it, it, uh, they had to, uh, you know, to, to oppose this? Like, why, why has this taken so long to happen? Yeah, I, I, you know, so having met with everybody now um, that has an opinion on this issue, it really does seem like this, most of the opposition was in the Internal Revenue Service. Um, and, you know, many of the people in the Internal Revenue Service were responsible for implementing the tax code that enforces Obamacare. Uh, and, you know, this was deemed at the time in the past administration as something that was going to be drawing p- patients out of the, out of the, the ex- exchanges, the Obamacare exchanges. And so they didn't want people to be choosing these plans and skipping the Obamacare plans. So they, you know, laid out some obstacles to implementation of, of, of these programs. Uh, so what they did was they basically declared direct primary care a health plan. And it's without getting in the weeds, uh, if you have a health savings account, you can't have two health plans. You can only have one qualified health plan, and that is the, the high deductible health plan that's required to use the HSA. So by that definition of calling DPC a health plan, they essentially have disqualified. If you, you, know, if you join the, uh, the practice, you essentially have, have automatically disqualified. It doesn't matter if you used your HSA funds to pay for it or not. Just by joining, they were saying that it disqualified you. But here's the thing is that, you know, that, that uh, designation happened based upon a letter written by the previous IRS commissioner um, in 2014 to a sitting congresswoman. And that there's never been any sub-regulatory guidance. The IRS has never given any official rulings on this. They've never enforced it in any way, shape, or form. They've never cracked down on any practice or individual that's using HSAs. And so the question is, does that letter really carry that much weight. Um, and, you know, what we basically did was say, you know, let's go ahead and, and, and do the legal analysis of this and, and disprove that letter. Uh, and then the question is, you know, what, you know, why does it take legislation to overturn an opinion letter? Um, you know, so, you know, that was the fight we, that we were engaged in is, 
you know, why? And then, you know, so then the question is, well, is an executive order enough to overturn it? And I would certainly make the argument that an executive order from a sitting president probably supersedes a private letter from a past IRS commissioner, um, you know, which essentially carries no weight. So this highlights one of the one of the larger problems we seem to have now, just in general, in terms of trying to uh, make um, government work or make society larger society, I guess, work. Because it seems that you have you have a lot of laws that are being passed, and the laws that are passed are some ideological. They're they're they're, they're ideologically very specific, but they're very very vague in terms of how you go about implementing them, right? And right. and then it, it it's it's left to you know, uh, a random number of bureaucrats to kind of make these type of actual on the ground decisions about how it's actually going to work. And, and, you know, and, and like you're saying, like this, this particular issue in terms of, you know, you know, the crazy part about all of this was that, you know, HSAs, which are these tax deductible health savings accounts could be used to pay for a a wide variety of medical services. Um, but, you know, there was this murkiness and cloudiness about whether or not you could use it to pay a physician directly, which was which is the, <laughs> which was kind of the problem for direct primary care. And uh, and you know, thanks thanks to all your work, uh, now there's been some clarification on it. Of course, as you bring up, the, the issue here, of course, is that um, what can be given by an executive order can be taken away by an executive order. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, so as I was that talking to you. So as I was talking to you know, I, I, my little practice, which is very much plugged into third-party payers right now, and uh, and how you know how how can we could should we possibly make some type of transition or invest some resources into trying to develop a PPC practice? Now the worry for me is all right. It's 20, 2019, elections are twenty twenty, and uh, you know depending on which uh, which way this uh, election goes. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, I'd I'd be pretty concerned that this executive order would be one of the first that would be uh, you know overturned. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this this is not the kind of thing. I mean, this is a bell that's really hard to unring. Um, okay. You know, once once you expand something, it is hard to to take it back. Um, yeah. So, you know, especially if it's something that's that's popular that people really really like. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, the the idea is that you have to run as far and as fast with these things and expand them as much as possible um, to prove the value of them, so that it becomes very unpopular to take it away. Right. Uh, but but the, the the order here is is for the uh, is is an order to the HHS to to clarify things, and so it's hard to imagine that another order would over you know overturn that because unless unless the hss at that point you know will will sort of backtrack on what it had clarified right so keep in mind so so, so first of all the order was for the treasury department not the hss i'm sorry the, clarify, sorry, right, right, okay, okay right yeah, but you know this is the the smallest part of this of this executive right. order so it got no attention the executive order um <laughs> the majority of it was in price transparency and enforcing hospitals uh, to disclose their negotiated prices for surgical services, hospitalizations, and to mandate uh, disclosure of, of, of uh, the out-of-pocket costs for the patients, giving a fair market estimate uh, before they get those services done. Um, that is that is a part of the executive order that will draw almost 100% of the attention. 
Sure. Um, and it will draw the fire and that will, that section of that will be litigated for quite some time, I would imagine. Um, the, the other, you know, the, the, I guess uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what the, um, uh, what the counters are going to be or, or what the, you know, one of the issues with, so the, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The, 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 100%, 150% of the oxygen <laughs> on Twitter, on, on social media, everywhere got taken up by the uh, price transparency mandate. And now, you know, everyone, everyone took, every, every Tom Dick and Harry took to uh, Twitter, I feel like, uh, and said, oh, you know, this will be nothing, this is useless, etc." And uh, of course, the real meat, I think, lies in, you know, what you've been fighting for in terms of HSAs and, 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 and the prior order regarding HRAs. But so the 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 HRA right the health reimbursement I almost said retirement health reimbursement account that allows small employers um, presumably like me and Michelle and you to to, to put aside uh, tax free money correct um, I think around eighteen hundred dollars or something a year to and and give that to uh, uh, employees so that they can then go out and buy uh, essentially um, catastrophic only type plans correct correct uh, I mean they can use it, they can use it for anything but that would be the that would be the that would be the intent is that right yeah yeah so that's an ex that's a, a, an expansion so you know under the previous administration if I as an if I was a small business owner gave my employee money to purchase a health plan I would be subject to $100 per employee per day penalty for, for doing that. Right. Right. Um, right. So, you know, what this does is this now for the first time allows an employee to have the same pre-tax purchasing power as an employer. Um, you are passing that tax-free advantage to an employee to allow them to purchase an individual health plan with pre-tax dollars. That's an absolute expansion. Um, you know, because before right. you couldn't well, use it to pay for premiums, you could use the stuff to maybe pay for medical services. But the expansion to use it to pay for premiums is a huge game changer. It solves the 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 pre-existing condition problem for the next generation. You know, so if you so think about, yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. How, how does it how does it solve the pre-existing condition problem? Because because the, the issue here is, is that now, OK, you've given you've given folks the ability to buy buy, uh, you know, insurance plans that aren't, that, that don't have to be ACA compliant, right? The, and ACA, the, uh, the ACA compliant plans, um, they, as a rule, were not allowed to use pre-existing, I mean, you know, we're not allowed to use pre-existing conditions to deny insurance. But the issue, of course, is that with these HRA plans, sorry, with, with, with the money as part of the HRA that's given to employees, employees can go out and buy the, you know, the short-term uh, limited duration uh, uh, plans and and a lot of those short-term duration plans do have uh, pre-existing uh, pre-existing uh, uh, condition exclusions. Correct. So, mm -hmm. so tell me how you know, tell me a little bit about how that will work. Yeah. So so if you think about why people generally get labeled with pre-existing conditions, uh, one of the biggest problems is that their health insurance is tied to their employment. Uh, so if they change employers, if they lose employment. Uh, they lose their health insurance. They lose their doctor because their plans change. Uh, if you then transfer the ownership of that health plan from the employer to being owned by the individual, if you change jobs, if you lose your job, if you get sick, you still have that health plan. It, it doesn't, it's not locked to your employment anymore. So you mm. now have complete portability. That health plan is yours. 
And so the only okay. reason that you would lose your health insurance is essentially if you stopped paying it. Uh, that's, a good, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic point. But, but so that, that's a great point. And actually, uh, so, but, but how, what do we do? So it almost seems like you need this critical mass of folks to, to do it. <laughs> uh, but but what, do we do, what do we do about the folks that are going to run around trying to sign up now and essentially are going to get, you know, are going to get, uh, denied. What, what's the what's the yeah, so, uh, so I what I said was was a was a key phrase is that it fixes the pre-existing condition for the next generation. Uh, <laughs> okay. It it does not fix it for the existing people that have pre-existing conditions and no insurance. You know that and that's the sort of thing that that you know that those people are going to need to get their care through direct care arrangements. Um, and they're going to need to fund those through through high risk pools. I mean, as you know. You know, Obamacare's marketplace basically has has decompensated into its own high risk pool. Uh, nobody else can afford it. You know, so if you have no chronic health condition, you're not going to pay the kind of money that it costs to buy an individual health plan through through the the ACA marketplace. Um, it, right. Financially, it just doesn't make sense if you're if you're healthy. So the only right. people that are paying that kind of money are the people that are sick. So now you have to fund those marketplaces even further. So. Um, right. I mean, there are a multitude of ways that they're going to look at, at trying to fund those or whether or not they, they block granted to the states to create their own state-based high-risk pools to take right. care of the, the uninsured uh, that have pre-existing conditions because you do have to take care of these people. Yeah, um, so that, the that really feel... Sorry, sorry, go ahead, finish. No, the, the direct primary care practices do not exclude for pre-existing conditions. And so those right. practices do absorb a large amount of the burden of the routine care of those chronic conditions. Right. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, the, you know, a very strong political move would be to try to try to um, uh, take care of take, you know, essentially take care of those folks that have, you know, that, that large group, well, not whatever, that, that group of folks that have pre-existing conditions, because it seems like that that's probably the most politically viable way to kind of counter the opposition that, that comes to all of this, because they say that it's very one note, they say the same thing over and over and over again, that, hey, you know, what do we do about people with conditions now? And unfortunately, right now, there isn't a very good plan for what to do with them. And that's not not for lack of trying. Like I remind people all the time that the BCRA that um, you know, like, I guess, failed by one vote or uh, what have you, uh, you know, essentially allotted a, 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 a you know a significant amount of dollars uh, for folks uh, uh, with conditions, essentially for you know these high to create high risk pools that were essentially directly uh, you know, uh, uh, paid for by the taxpayer. So, right. Um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's, that's it's, it's hard because, you know, right now, con you know, Congress is dysfunctional. There, there's, right. you, there's just no, I mean, you, they couldn't fight themselves out of a wet paper bag right now. Um, so, you know, the question is how far can the, you know, administration, you know, by themselves through, through regulatory changes free up and get, you know, get people some immediate relief. And I think that's kind of what they're what they're doing. They're trying to use, you know, regulatory authority to, to promote you know price transparency and and competition that, um, you know, will at least expose what the costs of healthcare are. And then once you start to see what those costs are, then you can start getting to the bottom of, of what is driving the costs in healthcare. So Lee, um, let's get yeah. let's get super super practical in terms of so you're a small you're you know you're you're a small practice uh, uh, or a member of a small practice that's listening to this right now. What 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 should they do next in terms of trying to uh, um, take advantage of uh, these uh, you know these, these executive orders that have been passed? 
Yeah, I mean, I think as a small business owner, you should explore with your with your tax advisor how to set up a health reimbursement arrangement for your own employees, um, because those are precisely the small businesses that should take advantage of these sorts of things. Um, I, I think small businesses and communities can explore uh, these health uh, association health plans where you can basically pool uh, you know, pool different independent practices even across state lines through associations and create larger group health plans. Uh, those are things that are coming online to be watching for those sorts of things. Um, and what about, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. And what about, what, um, and what about, the, uh, what about the, the, the physicians that are listening to this? Meaning, say, say you're a physician that's part of a small group that wants to, you know, you know what, 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 what's, how, can they, uh, how can you help them take the next steps to, uh, to take advantage of these rules? Yeah, so I, I think, the physicians, if they wanted to take advantage of it, you know, they're going to do so as employers. That that was kind of my point. Okay. Um, is the physician as employ as employers now? As far as the HSA provisions in there, um, right. you know, the question is, you know, when you know when is it okay? Um, I would make an argument that it was always okay. Uh, again, right. it's never been enforced. It's it's never been been challenged. Um, by by okay meaning meaning okay to tell patients that it, that they can use their HSA to pay for the DPC membership. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's right. the, the the tightrope that you walk. Right. Is, so for, I mean know, for the audience, they were they were DPC doctors who were hesitant to tell their patients that it was okay uh, because of the ambiguity uh, in the IRS ruling. Yeah, and again, the, the the ambiguity only stems from a letter basically, which has just been superseded by an executive order. Right, right. Um, now we'll see how that so, executive So if you're, you, you, if you're a DPC physician, according to you, I mean, I know it's not legal advice, but, but you, you would say this is sufficient to, to tell patients that, hey, you know, a DPC doctor is providing medical services. There's really no reason in the world why it should be illegal to use your HSA to, 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 to pay for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I have... Right. 20 pages now of legal documents that that support our position on, sure. on that opinion. No, that sounds uh, great. That sounds great. Um, any, is it too early to tell in terms of the uh, HRA, whether the impact that it's having? I mean, are uh, small employers moving in that direction or is it just still too early to... Uh, uh, well, the final rule was only released uh, three or four weeks ago. So okay. Okay. There, there's no way for it to have played out that fast, but I can tell you that there's an entire industry that has been developed around around that and they've in been anticipation for this final okay. rule in anticipation okay. and it, it will it will explode there's no question about it for small businesses so would you say this is a turning point this executive order it it, it absolutely is i mean right. it it you know it, it raises it to the level of you know where you had you know 10 years ago maybe a dozen or so practices around the country that are practicing this model to something that makes its way up to without you know millions of dollars in lobbying funds um, to the pen of the president. I mean, I, um, I can tell you for sure that I've had patients who have been, uh, who have withheld joining my practice because uh, of that uncertainty uh, regarding the HSA. I know that for a fact. There's a patient no, who came who, who was very interested and he said, you know, I'm uncertain about this. Uh, I'm gonna wait uh, because I want to use my HSA dollars. And I couldn't tell him, you know, I, I couldn't, at the time, I didn't have the same um, uh, sort of confidence to tell him that it was okay. Because obviously, you know, the, the, the penalty would be on him um, if, if they, you know, if it was ever brought to, uh, 
to to litigation or justice or whatever Sure. Um, but and but but clearly, clearly, be. it's it's. I mean, it's a substantial. You know, it's for some people, it's twenty five, thirty percent, maybe even thirty five percent reduction in the uh, in the membership cost. Yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, the sound advice is always, you know, talk to your tax advisor. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, so as a practice, we don't give tax advice. Um, you know, we give we give medical advice. So our 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 advice to our patients will always be, talk to your tax advisor. Um, it will not be, you know, green lighting it, but you know, the writing is on the writing is on the wall. Um, you know, what we've believed is always has always been the case is that, that HSAs are, you know, their DPC memberships are for physician services. Um, and so, um, yeah, we, we, so, you know, the, the interesting thing in talking with the, with the, uh, the folks from the treasury department, it was an eye opening hour long conversation. You know, so I asked the question for the, for the, uh, uh, for the group there, I said, so if somebody joins a mix, uh, joins Costco and they, they pay for men membership for Costco and Costco gives away discounted, uh, discounted blood pressure medications for, for their membership. I said, you know, the medications are an eligible HSA expense, but does joining Costco disqualify them from contributing to their HSA? And they said, well, technically yes. And I said, so how are you enforcing that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, so there it was their opinion that a, something as simple as a Costco membership, right? Something as simple as a discount prescription, you know, plan through a pharmacy, is enough to disqualify HSA contributions. Um, you know, which is crazy. That yeah. is the yeah. the challenge that that you know we're dealing with. You know, so. Um, well, that's. I mean, it, it, it's it's great. It's it's uh, it's really so fantastic the work the work that you've done. I mean, so so important. I mean, I I just can't believe it. Um, and I'm so, uh, you know, admiring of your efforts and, and of, you know, the, the others, Josh Umber and, and uh, Chad and, and all the other people. Um, Kim Corba, Kim Corba, correct. correct. Kim Katerina Lindley. Um, yeah, so if you want, so if anybody wants to support uh, the efforts, because we still obviously have a lot of work to do, we're not done yet, because we have to get this executive order implemented in the proper way. And that's going to still take many more trips, many more phone calls, many more legal fees. So if anybody wants to support dpcaction.com, dpcaction.com, uh, we'll we could certainly use uh, any financial support um, for that effort. We'll definitely have mostly, that on the show notes. This is uh, mostly self-funded by the board members of our of our organization that have you know, used their own personal dollars to make these trips. That's absolutely tremendous. Before we wrap up, Lee, one last question. I think I, I, I broached the topic earlier. Do you see eventually that they will have to define DPC in a certain way, and what's the and if so, what's the danger in that? Well, there's there's always danger in that. I mean, anytime you invite the government into your life, there's there's always danger in, in that. Um, you know, I think the the advantage we have is that there are you know 26 state laws that that have a pretty loose definition of this. Okay. Um, and I think you can work within the regulatory process and the rule commenting process a lot better than you can work within the uh, definitions through legislative action. Because when you do it through legislation, uh, you have to get CBO scoring and you have to, you have, to have uh, uh, basically charge offs to offset the cost of the, of the legislation. Right, uh, right. And, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars on a national scale here. And so when you're doing that, you have to put in all sorts of weird and arbitrary rules to, to, to tighten the rules so much that it costs as little money as possible. 
So they try to make it as narrow as possible. You don't have to do that through the executive branch, through the executive orders. There is no CBO scoring of a regulation. I understand. Um, and so it does allow us to, to put together a much looser definition of it. It's amazing how the sausage is made. <laughs> scary how the sausage is made. <laughs> Wait, could you also give us some uh, give us a, a shout out to a link uh, for physicians that uh, want to start uh, BPC, given all the changes that are happening? Yeah, so um, as you probably know, every year for the last four years, we've put on a direct primary care conference uh, through Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Um, we are holding our fourth annual DPC Nuts and Bolts conference in uh, Orlando at the Rosen Center Hotel from November 14th to the 16th. Uh, if you've never attended a direct primary care conference through us, we have a grant from the Physicians Foundation that will cover your cost of entry. That includes your CME for this for this conference and includes all your meals and everything. So um, if, if you want to check it out, you can go to our website. It's D, the number four pcfoundation.org and from there there's a link to our dpc conference and you can register online there uh, seats are going fast we already have about a quarter of the scholarship seats uh, uh, reserved um, and if you have attended one of our conferences before it's still great to come and, and network and meet more direct primary care doctors last year we had about 400 physicians from 41 states so we're hoping to top that this year Wonderful. Lee, this is wonderful. I can't thank you enough for uh, everything that you do and, and everything, everything that your colleagues uh, um, are doing for the rest of us. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's been an honor and a privilege, and we'll continue to keep fighting the fight. That's great. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at akkadandcoca.com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more. akkadandcoca.com.